Hello, and welcome to the Plant-Based Liberty Podcast, the official podcast of the LP Plant-Based Caucus. On this podcast, we'll talk with guests and explore where a plant-based lifestyle meets libertarian philosophy and so much more. We believe people have the right to freedom when it comes to what they eat, but they deserve to hear the other side of the story from our perspectives. And with that, here's the Plant-Based Liberty Podcast. Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Plant-Based Liberty Podcast. I am Plant-Based Matt. And I'm Jessica. And today we are talking with Dr. Scott Hankinson. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Yeah, we're um, happy to have you. So we met at the Emerald Coast Plant-Based Meetup Group that Jessica started um, a few months back. And uh, we thought we would, we'd love to talk to you. We, we, we had great conversations. It was just awesome. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. Um, I am an OBGYN, started working in uh, 1994. So I did my training between 90 and 94. Started a practice in the Mid-Atlantic area outside of Philadelphia in Wilmington, Delaware. Then I fell in love with the Chesapeake, so I sold my practice and moved down to Annapolis, where I started a practice and bought some practices and worked there until about twenty um, twenty fourteen fifteen, and then I've been moving around the country doing what's called locum tenens ever since. Awesome. So like that's uh, where you do kind of like, uh, I've heard of like traveling nurses, kind of something like that, maybe? Same idea. Yep. Mm-hmm. I work in different locations for weeks to months to years. I mean, I've kind of refined it now to, you know, minimum of six months to a year and a half. But basically, I'm a water guy, so I keep it coastal and have basically circled the country. I mean... My wife and I like to say that in the last five years, we did a circle from Pensacola to Savannah to Maine to Seattle to Hawaii to Southern Cal back to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So what made you go plant-based or how long have you been plant-based? About two and a half years now. Yeah. And, you know, like many patients or people, what made me go plant-based was a boo-boo. And, you know, patients tend to take their lifestyle with a little bit of relaxation until they get a boo-boo or a perceived boo-boo, and then they get serious. And my perceived boo-boo was the COVID vaccine. And when I started learning about the potential adverse effects after And prior to that time, you know, there had been kind of a a lead up. My father-in-law, who is a a physician's assistant in internal medicine in Florida, very active, very healthy, mid-70s guy. He's one of these pickleball nuts, right? And he started having kidney failure. 
And he started doing some homework and decided that if he cut out animal protein, it might help his kidneys. And in six months, he reversed his entire kidney damage. And at about that same time, my oldest son, who is now a family practitioner out in L.A., was part of the Kaiser residency program. And, you know, plus or minuses on everything, including Kaiser. But one of the things they do focus on is nutrition. And he started talking about plant-based. And what I like to tell patients and, and people who ask is, you know, at that point, I would have, I said, I would, it's not that I would have said, I literally said to both of them, you know, that sounds like an amazingly healthy way to approach life, but I couldn't even conceive doing it. You know, like my son would say, well, just start slow, you know, think meatless Mondays. And I would say to him, Austin, I can't even imagine a meal, let alone a whole day without meat. I mean, I used to barbecue six or seven nights a week and, you know, everything in the freezer. In fact, the funny thing is when my in-laws came out to Hawaii, because I was working in Hawaii at the time, we had just bought a quarter steer and filled up the entire freezer with steaks and burgers and everything else. And I was hoping that they would help me get rid of some of it while they were here for Thanksgiving week. But that's when they were plant-based, right? (laughs) so so they they started saying that and at the same time i had started to investigate uh what i had been learning and further learned about the microbiome and what was real pivotal for me was i remember reading this story where they took sterile rats which are rats that are raised in the lab without any microbiome without any bacteria in their colon. They're raised in a sterile environment for microbiome research. And they they basically guessed, and we'll get into the what that means in the in the bit here, but they basically guessed to give one set of rats the good bugs, so to speak, one group of rats the bad bugs, and then they gave them a a hamper full of pellets, which were sugar and vegetable pellets. And so the rats would, you know, root through these pellets and decide which ones they wanted. And as you can imagine, what I'm going to say, the quote, good bug rats went for the veggies and the bad bug rats went for the sugar. But then what was really cool is they did fecal transplants in the rats. So they basically took the poo out of one set, gave them to the other set. And then the rats that were preferentially going for the sugar prior we're now averted to the sugar going for the veggies, which that made a really big impact on me because, you know, I mean, I'm a doctor. I've been a physician for 35 years or so. And, you know, I know the right things to tell patients, but knowledge isn't the same thing as behavior, right? So in my case, like I said, you know, I, I, I wasn't particularly sick although I did have an autoimmune disease that I got rid of after going plant-based. And I wasn't particularly heavy, but I was about 30 pounds overweight. You know, I'm an old dude. I was, what, 62 at the time and probably 30 pounds overweight with a little belly. And, um, 
And as soon as I read that story, I started thinking in terms of the high fiber foods that I already liked, which in my case were black beans and avocados. Mm -hmm. And my wife and I started focusing on black beans. So we made black bean salsa, we made black bean chili, and rather than eating them, you know, maybe once or twice a month, which we would have prior, we literally decided to eat them every day. And within 10 days, all my desires changed, just like those rats. Now, you could argue that I had read that report and maybe there was some, you know, placebo component to it, but who cares? The bottom line is I didn't miss my meat. And here's another fun fact. I loved my sugar treats. Now, you know, for a guy like me, I wasn't eating the crappy donuts or that, but I was having a a whole case of briars before bed every night. Mm -hmm. And the joke in my family was, you know, don't those, whatever they are, like four liter containers, aren't those single servings, right? So I would have a briars pretty much before bed every night. And after I got going on the beans, I have not touched one refined sugar in two and a half years. And what's key about that is it's not that I have any willpower because I do not have any willpower. I have not had any desire, you know, so that that part was kind of cool. And, you know, what I didn't mention is that, you know, I had stated earlier that, you know, we tend to go along with life without feeling a a boo-boo, so to speak. And in my case, the boo-boo was getting the COVID vaccine and then learning after the fact what the potential consequences of that was. So that really was kind of the, um, I was right on the ledge looking at the issues because of my father-in-law and my son and this, this information I had learned about the microbiome. But what really pushed me over the edge was uh, learning about the potential negative consequences of getting a COVID vaccine. So then, then we just started doing plant-based. And, you know, that was like about, I think, in October, November. And we did it pretty well. And then in January, we said, let's go a full month and just see if we can do 30 days, 100% clean. So 100% organic, 100% plant-based, and remarkably, it was very painless. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a similar experience with the cravings. I felt like, you know, after a few weeks, they kind of just dissipate. I mean, your your body starts craving those good nutrients that you're putting into it. And, um, you know, a lot of people say they can't, they can't, um, get rid of the cheese. That's the one thing. They right. Can't get cheese rid is of. a biggie. Yeah. And, and you know why cheese is the biggie, right? Opiates. Well, opiates. well, the casomorphins. Yeah. The opiate like casomorphins. Yeah. Exactly. Casomorphins and glutomorphins. So, you know, we'll get into this maybe in a little bit, but now when I approach it with patients, I really do see it as like a food addiction. Because, you know, the industries of the uh, fast food people have really spent hundreds of millions of dollars to make their formulations the most addictive as possible. 
And it's very effective. I mean, you know, we, we all know it, right? And we all know that those things make us feel really good. And we all know that we're going to pass 20 or 30 locations on our way home from work, right? Yeah. So it's a challenge from that point. Oh, for sure. The amount of oil they just throw in that stuff is just Yeah, oil, salt, sugar, dairy. I mean, all those things are are lighting up different areas of the brain that, um, you know, that give us temporary pleasure. So I like what you said, Jessica, that it is true that over time you can damper that, but... um, but depending on where people are, it, I mean, it, it is, you know, it's, you know, it's what I like to say is that it's, it's simple, but not necessarily easy, right? You know, I mean, it's simple to eat the right way, but not necessarily easy. It's simple to know that you need to exercise every day, but not necessarily easy. I'm pretty sure I saw where... McDonald's French fries have like 17 ingredients. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's just, yeah. I mean, then that's just like a French fry. Imagine what they're doing to all this other stuff. Right. Right. I mean, my air fried fries have two ingredients or maybe three, actually, if I think about it, a little olive oil and a little salt. Okay. Now, do you get any pushback from some of your colleagues about, you know, implementing the plant-based diet to your patients? Oh, that's a long story. (laughs) You know, what would be interesting is that have me redo this podcast in six months because, you know, since I've been in this new lifestyle, I have been in, um, let's see, I've been in one, two three, four, five, six different locations. And um, there hasn't been one location yet that's been supported of me just in the area of nutrition. Wow. Wow. Which is amazing. And I've been written up at least four times by patients. One time I was written up, and again, this isn't a a commentary or a negative comment on the patient because again when you think of it in the model of a food addiction it makes sense but i had one patient who was 350 pounds and you know i'm an obgyn so a lot of times young patients come in morbidly obese which is almost the norm these days that's not the exception that's almost the norm and they're not menstruating and they're not menstruating because they're not ovulating. And they're not ovulating because they're insulin resistant because of their weight. So they come in with a GYN complaint, expecting me to probably give them a medication. And when I bring up kind of the, you know, no pun intended, the elephant in the room, they sometimes get very offended. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I've had patients, I had one patient write me up, started screaming hysterically in my presence. And, and, and again, I'm, I, I understand the issue here and I try to be as sensitive as I can be. But in her case, I, I, you know, you go, you try to go for the low hanging fruit to start with, right. To try to get some 
increment of um, improvement and then you go from there. In her case, it was just sodas. She was drinking like eight to 10 sodas a day. And, oh. that's, and that's what she told me. So you know how it is in medicine. They always tell you that whatever the patient confesses to, you probably can double it, right? Yeah. So whatever, she was drinking a lot of sodas. And when I suggested, you know, let's start just with cutting out the sodas, she started trembling and crying and ran out of the room and reported me. So this is not meant to be a criticism of that patient. It's meant to be a comment on our society and how addicted we are to sugar, to, um, you know, uh, corn syrup, fructose in the sodas. You know, you, I'm sure you guys are aware of what sugar does to the brain. They, they show these PET scans where the brain lights up just like cocaine. So, you know, I, I get that. But again, you know, when you, when you try to make improvements, you're not all, it, it's not always welcomed by the patient. Let's just put it that way. You know, another, another story that comes to mind is about a year ago, I was in a similar situation and 14-year-old came in, hadn't menstruated yet. She was about 300 pounds. And I looked to her right and her mom was there. Mom was about 300 pounds. And, you know, to start the conversation, I just said, so you've been to your pediatrician this year? Yes, yes. You've been to your primary care doc this year? Yes, yes. You're on, um, you know, again, I'm, I, I don't remember exactly, but she was essentially on diabetic medication. Usually it's diabetic, hypertensive, and depressant, antidepressants. Those are like the normal trio. So I asked the mom. She was very open, but, you know, she, mom was 29, daughter was 14. They were both roughly about 300 pounds. And I, and I asked a simple question, which again is so um, exemplatory of what, where are we are in medicine these days, is I said, did, did either your pediatrician or you, did your primary doc ever bring up the issue of weight or nutrition? And you know what I'm going to say? They said no. Mm -hmm. So it, it's just really a sad state we're in where doctors can't even bring up. And when I brought it up, they were very welcoming of it. And, and, you know, they actually thanked me that I obviously mentioned the obvious thing because it wasn't like they weren't aware of it. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like this 29 year old and this 14 year old weren't aware of how, you know, morbidly obese they were, but it's just such a sad commentary on where we are in Western medicine. But now, so you got written up. So like your, so obviously your colleagues didn't like that you were promoting this. Did they say why? Well, it wasn't in that situation. It wasn't so much the colleagues as just the practice manager. You know, mm. she was like, you know, we have to keep our patients. So you can't really tell them what's obvious, right? Yeah, but, you can't tell them the truth. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I've always been doing that, even before the whole plant-based thing. You know, the plant-based thing just kind of accelerated. The issue with the plant-based issue or the plant-based um, idea is, you know, the part that I didn't tell you is that I 
I started it back in Hawaii because I was afraid of all the negative consequences of the COVID vaccine. But in the interim, I dropped 40 pounds. I didn't even care the fact that I was 40 pounds overweight. I mean, literally my pants were falling off me while I was just trying to get, you know, on plant-based. And since then, I have dozens of examples of patients who, contrary to the, the first one I mentioned, who do get excited about doing this and then come in every month down 30, 40 pounds. And I mean, you guys have watched Forks Over Knives, so you get that concept that when people are able to do this, they can really turn around their health status incredibly quickly. I mean, it's remarkable. In fact, it's so fast that you have to warn them that if they're on blood pressure medicines or on blood sugar medicines, that they need to be aware that things could turn around so quickly that they might get hypo, you know, glycemic or uh, their blood pressures might drop to a low level. So, and again, I'm the OBGYN, I'm not their family doc. So I always tell them to, you know, make sure they're doing this in connection with their family doc. Um, but, but again, getting back to forks over knives, remember those guys that go in and they're on all these medications and rather than the doctor doing the, the typical thing, I'm not going to call it the normal thing, but it is the normal thing, but the typical thing of adjusting doses, maybe suggesting a new medication, you know, playing around with different things. The doctors in Forks Over Knives just says, hey, how'd you like to be off all this crap in six months? And, and that's exactly what I found. So... Yeah, it, we've watched one um, plant pure nation. I can't. Re- it's something with T. Colin Campbell's son, and they do like an extensive retreat for diabetics mainly, and they pretty much reverse all of their symptoms within two weeks. Oh and yeah, and then they are follow they, them they, after. Are you thinking about Esselstyn's son, plant strong guy? No, this one's T. Colin Campbell. Oh, okay. Yeah. Because, um, you know, Plant Strong, that's the same thing where they go into cities and yeah. find a bunch of sick people and they do what they call intensives. And yep. they, they just find all these sick, fat people and they say, how'd you like to, to feed you for 10 days? And they, they measure all their parameters before and literally within 10 days. And, you know, that has to do probably with, um, you know, the nitric oxide with these other uh, anti, with, with these other pro-inflammatory chemicals that are in their system, because of a direct relationship to eating meat and um, dairy and eggs, so it is it is just remarkable how fast you can turn things around. And and you know what I like to do is for patients that I see that are maybe kind of a little bit on the fence, or maybe the second time I see them. They're like, yeah, well, you know, I have a hard time with cheese and I still like my eggs, blah, 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 which again, I was there. You know, we started this again, I think in like August, September, and then we kind of flirted around with different things. Like for a few months, I was really big into kefir, which is a good thing, but I was doing dairy kefir. And then I found out that you can actually do a water kefir, which is a different topic about 
you know, getting into the um, fermented foods. But, um, but at some point, I just tell the patient, again, try this for 30 days. You know, don't, don't think you're never going to barbecue steak again. Don't give up your, your fish or your chicken or whatever you really love. Just give this 30 days. Anybody can do anything for 30 days and then see how you feel and then make an assessment after that. And, you know, I can tell you that for the few patients that have been able, that have been able to do that, I would say about 90% of them like us never went back. I mean, it doesn't mean they're 100% vegan, but, you know, I still have a few things that I can't substitute, but relative to where I was, you know, three years ago, I'm probably 95% improved. That's good. That's good. Um, yeah. Do you, do you struggle with it at all? Like, are you just good? Like you don't need to, uh, like you don't, I mean, you said you don't have the cravings, but is there anything you miss anything that, uh, Oh, sometimes. Yeah. Drive-in pack past Chick-fil-A is usually the weakest point. I still can't figure out why Chick-fil-A hasn't at least promoted grass-fed. Because, you know, again, as you guys know, I have a pretty big, uh, um, you know, follow, social following on Twitter and stuff. And, you know, if, if you want to really alienate people, on a scale of one to 10, talk politics, that's about a five. Talk meat, that's about a nine. <laughs> so when I start talking about plant-based or I start promoting some of these others that are 100% plant-based people, you know, I get equated to Bill Gates and the World Economic Forum, which is just kind of an interesting, you know, leap. But where I go with that, is that I say organic, 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 you know, whole yeah. food, you know, even people like um, McGregor or a guy that I especially like, Joel Kahn, who's a cardiologist in Detroit, you know, he'll say, you know, we don't need to, to argue about these little things on the fringe. Let's just start with the basics, like that patient I referred to earlier. Let's start with the low hanging fruit processed foods, junk food restaurants, and things like soda, right? I mean, because that is where the majority of the population is. When, when we're in these different podcasts or uh, Twitter spaces, you know, this is preaching to the choir. These are people who are already 90% there, and they spend the majority of life fighting about that 10%. So, you know, where I come down to it on a more practical level is everything organic, learn about glyphosate, plants, plants, plants. And if you got to throw in some burgers or chicken once in a while, make sure at least it's grass fed because everybody agrees that commercial meat is an art, is a toxic cesspool, you know, when yeah. it comes to to carcinogens, when it comes to um, hormones, you know, again, so, and again, so that is to say that 
I'm not going to tell you that I'm 100% vegan. I, I'm probably 90%. If I, 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 don't, I don't resist anything. So if I want a burger, I'll go get a grass-fed pound of hamburger, and my wife and I will have a burger, or at least I will. She doesn't do it for different reasons. I mean, my focus is more plant. Her focus is a little bit more the poor cows. And, you know, that's a different story when we were living in Hawaii specifically. But, um, you know, so I, I just, I try to keep it very, very practical. And I understand that, you know, very few people or in my case, very few patients are going to really be able to do this 100%. And the worst thing to do is to, you know, go 95 or 90% and then just forget the whole thing and go back to your old lifestyle. Exactly. Well, I always equate it this way. Like there would probably be some vegans who'd be like, oh my goodness, that's, why don't, why aren't you 100%? But like Dave Smith has a saying, a libertarian, um, don't make perfect the enemy of the good. And it's yeah. like, I mean, if, if you're not eating meat, you know, 90% of the time, like, why is that a bad thing? Like that's way better than most people. And if, yeah. if, if and, and for me, it's really easy. Cause again, yeah. I can just think back to where I was four years ago. I mean, yeah. I was yeah. doing T-bones four nights a week and yeah, I would push the broccoli and the salad, but the whole, pl another whole plate. <laughs> what I used to do is I used to eat a whole bowl of broccoli before the steak was done because I knew that once the steak came out, I wouldn't be interested in the broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, I, was, I just had to look this up just to make sure. But, um, yeah, you're talking about Chick-fil-A. Did you hear about they, like, tested a uh, cauliflower, like, chicken? Yeah, I've heard about that. I haven't found a place yet that actually has them. It isn't even vegan. It's prepared with milk and eggs. Right. So they said it's not even, it wouldn't even be considered vegetarian, I guess, because the way it's prepared. So I was like, right. what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's crazy. Well, and that, that, that's also similar to the whole, you know, um, like, uh, uh, what's it called? The, you know, the fake meat, the burgers. Yeah. Like you impossible know. and beyond impossible and beyond burgers and things. And, you know, I've had those a few times, but, you know, honestly, I think there's a good argument that if you're going to do burgers once a month, just go get grass fed and actually enjoy it versus uh, beyond because of all the oils and the processed material in them. There, I mean, there are a lot of vegans who do it, you know, just for the animals, which is right. And, like, and I, I don't, and I, in no way do I negate that because that's yeah. a whole different conversation. And, you know, that kind of goes into my wife's feelings. And when we were in Hawaii, we were uh, renting a house in Waimea, which is a, a small town in the middle of uh, Big Island. And we had ranches all around us. And um, one particular time, we literally were kept up night after night after night because the cows were wailing and literally the cows were, you know, 20 yards from our house. I mean, there was one house next to the fence next to ours, but so we were probably 30 yards from the actual cows and you know why they were wailing, right? Cause this was the time of the year that they took the cows away. Mm. 
and the, and the moms were just, I mean, literally they kept us up all night because they were wailing at the top of their lungs because their calves had just been taken from them. And, you know, that made a big impression on both of us. And so no way, shape or form do I try to minimize that component of it. Um, and, you know, obviously that's very valid. Same thing with the whole, you know, um, global warming thing, you know, um, that's a different conversation and I could talk all night on that as well, but there's no question that, you know, vegetables are much better on our globe than animal protein. Let's put it that way. Yeah. But then that, that's probably the topic that most gets us equated to the whole, uh, like just leftist and right. Right. uh, Well, you know, I don't know if I've ever told you guys, but, uh, Hugh Ross is a huge, um, I'm a huge fan of a guy named Hugh Ross. And he's a, a, stro- a PhD astronomer, but he just wrote a book called The um, Weathering Climate Change. And he's got a great book on the topic. And, you know, he doesn't deny it, but he gets more into the more, geo- uh, what would it be called, uh, you know, the, the Earth changes, the solar system changes, the rotation changes, the fact that, you know, we're going into the next ice age, which is typical. But having said that, you know, again, there's no question that vegetables are easier on our globe than animal protein. No question. Plus, uh, what is it? I think 80% of uh, vegetables grown are fed to livestock. Right. Something right. Like that. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Saying that, you know, vegetables are bad. Plus, you know, as you guys know, if you watch Forks Over Knives, this belief system that, you know, we need protein. But when people say we need protein, they're really equating that with animal protein. And beans and other vegetables have just as much protein as any animal. So, Yeah. yeah. So I think I think you eat I think you eat meat, chicken, fish, seafood because you like it, not because you need it, you know? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I wanted to get more into um what we were talking about earlier, the good bugs and the microbiome. Right. And I know you and your wife, Erin, wrote a children's book called Happy Bugs. Do you mind telling us a little bit about that and why you guys sure. decided to write it? So, like I said earlier, we started learning about the microbiome. And, um, you know, the book came quite sincerely, just very organically. As I remember, maybe a month or two into the going whole food plant-based, that when I, would, when I would say to her, oh, I feel like a blank, then I would wonder how that item would affect my bugs, right? Usually it revolved around grown-up drinks, <laughs> right? <laughs> because bugs do not like alcohol. Let's just say it straightforward. You know, our, our happy bugs aren't particularly happy with grown-up drinks. So, so whether it was grown-up drinks or whether it was some other item, when I was at the grocery store, I would laugh, I would kind of laugh and say, you know, I'm thinking about this, but then I'm wondering, I don't think my bugs are going to like that. 
So that was kind of like just this organic thought about me thinking about my bugs or my microbiome. And for listeners who aren't familiar, you know, the microbiome are the um, bacteria, virus, and fungi that live in our, our bodies, mostly the bacteria. And the microbiome is actually referring to the genetic components of our bugs, where the term microbiota is more technically accurate to the bugs. But the point is, in medicine, like in my case, we've always known that we have bugs inside of us, that the bugs help us live well, healthy, and we need them. But in the last 15 years, because of DNA sequencing technology, the whole area of the microbiome and understanding the microbiome has just mushroomed. And for instance, I have a friend out in LA who has a $4 million sequencing machine where she can take a uh, thumbnail sample of your stool and tell you in a few minutes what type of bugs are living inside of you, what percentages and what your microbiome looks like. And so over the past 15 years, they've really started to understand how, again, getting back to what I said earlier, how important that the bugs are for you. So as I'm, as I'm thinking in terms of, you know, what should I buy at the store? Will my bugs like this? Will my bugs like not like that? We then also watched something on YouTube where it showed this young child making some, um, it, it was more of a sushi or a plant-based, um, you know, uh, preparation with her mom. And I started thinking it's those four and five-year-olds that really need to start understanding about their bugs and how their decisions affect their bugs. And that birthed Happy Bugs. So Happy Bugs, if you will, is a book for children, but it's really written for the parents and the grandparents. And think Toy Story, where the three main characters are three bacteria, Bif, Bifidobacterium, Lucy Lactobacillus, and Ernie uh, Eubacterium, who live inside a five-year-old girl named Emma. So they are happy or less happy based upon the food decisions that Emma makes. So Emma is learning with her mom and her dad and with her cousin Connor. And, you know, Connor is a 15-year-old who wants to be a, a superstar football player. So if you guys are familiar with Game Changers, you know, it's right. kind of tied into that as far as, you know, he's heard that superstar athletes are really focused on veggies and the mom and the dad and Emma teach him about, you know, eating habits, whole food, plant-based. They have a scene where they're making um, home sauerkraut and other fermented items to help uh, Emma's microbiome, making Ernie, Lucy, and Ernie very happy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Game Changers is actually what made us go plant-based. Yeah? Yep. yep. Not that scene with the urologist, I guess, huh? 
That one's hilarious. That's so random. Like, why is this so much? But it's, it's pretty funny. It's, it's good, interesting. It's good for a laugh at the very least. Yeah. Right, um, right. Well, so, yeah, so that was Happy Bugs. And we haven't done it yet, but what I would really like to do is get a follow-up and do a Happy Bugs cookbook where, oh, yeah, you know, there are, there are two really good people out there. Um, oh, Plant Based Juniors is one of them. And I'm blanking out at the other name of the of the person. But, you know, again, the idea is, you know, we don't really need to have the one-year-old stick their face in a chocolate birthday cake like my sons did, right? <laughs> I mean, we don't need them to light up their brains with super <laughs> sugars and then make the rest of their lives a battle against sugars, right? Exactly. I mean, if I could do it again, oh my gosh, my kids would be raised so differently. <laughs> so there's well, plant-based juniors. There's other ones. There's another couple out there called Eat, Rest, Move uh, out of Florida. Again, good people just kind of focusing on young children. You know, they love watermelon, strawberries, berries. You know, I mean, we make chocolate pudding with soybeans, which I could do a, a blinded taste testing that you guys wouldn't know the difference from dairy, uh, you know, chocolate pudding. I'll have to get that recipe. For With you. soybeans, no less. That's I mean, cool. doesn't that sound gross? It, using, it does, using, but I've made like black bean cookies. And it's, like and it's so simple. Cookies. Yeah. yeah. And they you taste guys, great. You guys know who Christy Funk is? Yeah. Uh -huh. Right. So, you know, she's like, you know, the breast surgeon who did the mastectomy in Angelina Jolie. And again, getting into the backstory thing, I love backstories. She was a UCLA surgeon for 18 years. She got a patient, you know, she's in, she's in LA, so she's in the Beverly Hills area. So her patient was Angelina. She does the mastectomy for BRCA mutation. And then Angelina mentions her, and overnight she gets 9 million followers. <laughs> so, and you know, she's cute, she's articulate, she's smart. And so everybody wanted her to write a book. And she says in her podcast, if I'm going to write a book, I better make sure what I say is correct, right? So she goes back to all the studies that she had used to base her. That, that were used to base her recommendations to her patients for 18 years to find out they were all wrong. And again, because her focus was breast issues, it predominantly focused around dairy and soy. So the old adage was dairy's good, soy's bad. Turned out the exact opposite was true. Yep. So dairy's bad, soy's good. You know, countries like Japan who you know, focus on soy and, you know, natto kinases and the fermented soys. Um, they didn't even know what breast and prostate cancer was before the U.S., you know, polluted their, their culture with food. So anyways, so we make chocolate pudding. All it is is organic soybeans. You pressure cook them. You uh, blend them. You add cocoa and maple syrup and avocado. And I, again, I could blind test you against normal chocolate pudding and you wouldn't know the difference. Wow. Wow. So just, a, just a I'm small thing. Try it. 
you know, that will be in, that will be in happy bugs cookbook if we ever do it. Awesome. Awesome. So one of the other things you keep mentioning a lot is organic foods. So I'm hoping you can kind of tell us why you feel those are so important. I know on our last podcast, we talked to Darcy at nature baker and she kind of went into the details about why glyphosate phosphate is messing with our microbiome. Yeah. Um, reference so reference uh, Zach Bush for that one. He did, he made my life much more complicated and more expensive. So do you guys know who Zach Bush is? No. Okay, so look up Zach Bush on YouTube. He's a uh, internist, oncologist. Now I'm pretty sure he's just in Hawaii kind of doing his own thing. But he was the one who taught me about glyphosate and GMO, you know, wheat, soy, uh, corn. And, you know, again, it gets back to the bugs. I mean, I could, again, I could talk all day about the microbiome because it seems like the microbiome is the essence of everything. And I would predict that 10, 15 years from now, you will go into the doctor, at least a good doctor, And he'll ask for a stool sample and you'll get a printout of what your microbiome is because glyphosate kills bifidobacterium. Guess what else kills bifidobacterium for transition for a different topic? COVID vaccine. (laughs) Guess what increases bifidobacterium other than fiber and, you know, veggies? How about vitamin D? We know now that vitamin D, if everybody had their vitamin D above 50, nobody would have gotten COVID. Guess what else increases bifidobacterium? Yes, you guessed it, ivermectin. Mm. So again, you know, we have, we have clinical observations and then we have, you know, in the case of like, like my friend in LA who has the machine, we can actually get objective data about the differences in microbiomes. But for instance, we know now that the COVID vaccine destroys bifidobacterium. And as far as we can tell, it destroys it for at least a year out. And if you guys haven't heard yet, you know, there's a lot of data coming out about the adverse consequences of the COVID vaccine. So, you know, again, not conclusive, but suggestive that it all has to do with the microbiome. And, you know, we have fat bugs and skinny bugs, too. That's another fun topic, right? I mean, we know from at least rat studies that, again, getting back to these sterilized rats, you can give the bad bugs and starve rats and they're still obese. You can give the rats the good bugs. They eat five times the normal calories and they don't gain weight. So, so again... We're, we're just on the tip of that learning, you know, process about the microbiome. I don't want to say we're there yet, but so many things are so suggestive of how key it is. Like, like here's a fun fact to just throw out there that'll, that will get people's attention. This, this doctor again, in fact, if you guys want her on your podcast, I can line it up. Her name is Sabine Hazen, H-A-Z-A-N, she just did a fecal transplant on a 24-year-old non-speaking autistic guy, 24, 24, never spoke. 
She took the poo out of his sister, put it into him, and a month later he was talking. Wow. What? Yeah, That's I've heard these fecal transplants. Oh, can they're all do over wonders. the place. Yeah. yeah. And again, you know, I didn't get into this, but two of my three boys had severe type 1 diabetes. And part of this in the early days of my investigating microbiome was they're actually doing fecal transplants for autoimmune diseases, including type 1 diabetes. So, you know, these bugs make these things called small chain fatty acids, butyrate, propionate, acetate. And these things are, they, they counter the autoimmune processes in so many patients. Now, how it works with autism, who knows? Um, but again, all roads lead to the bugs. Let's just put it that way. And the best way to increase, improve your bugs is fiber, fiber, fiber. Huge, you know, one of, one of the things that I mentioned that one of the books that was probably the most pivotal for me was Fiber Fueled by this guy named Buskowitz that I mentioned. Yeah. I think I mentioned it before we started, right? Yeah, you did. Yeah. 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 So again, backstory to him, young guy, normal training, you know, starts uh, making the bucks, starts eating the king's diet, gets the belly, can't seems to get it off at the gym. And then he meets this skinny young thing and he tries to impress her at the restaurant with the five-star meals. And she says to the waiter, just tell the chef to put whatever veggies you have back there and try to <laughs> get them. <laughs> and that was his journey. And he's got this book, Fiberfield. And, you know, he, he was the one who really inspired me to use what I say to patients is um, I'm sure you guys are, are familiar with the blue zones. In fact, there's a new movie right out now on Netflix. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, but, I just watched it. Yeah. yeah. So I don't know if it says this in the movie, but generally speaking, you know, the Blue Zone peoples are eating like 80 to 100 grams of fiber a day, depending on the season and what's available. And the typical American eats five. 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 Because wow. meat and processed foods have no fiber. So Bolskowicz's proposal, which is what I've adapted, is telling patients 40 grams a day, 40 varieties a week. So it's not just the, the amount of fiber, right. but it's the variety. Because, Diversity. <laughs> because all of our bugs, for whatever reason, because again, we don't really understand what a healthy microbiome yet as is as of this point, but we're going to learn. But it, there seems to be a real relationship with diversity. So, you know, in my group on Twitter, what I do is every Saturday I go to the grocery store to the organic section and I grab one thing of everything. Half the time, I don't even know what they are. I've never eaten them. I don't even know what they are. It doesn't matter. Then my wife and I experiment with things and we decide what we like to eat, what we don't, and everything we don't like to eat, like in my case, kale. I mean, I do kale every day and I hate kale, but guess what? <laughs> it's in a smoothie and with enough bananas and berries, you don't even know the kale's in there. So what I do is I do a big ninja blender full of a smoothie every week and then I put it in five or six, you know, um, glasses and freeze them. So every day I'm at least giving like 15, 16 ounces 
I mean, one time I had 26 different fibers in a shake. You know, I throw in some peppers. I mean, I throw in the wildest things that you wouldn't think of, you know? Um, Inulin. Do you guys know about inulin? No. A little bit. It's in um, the stevia that I have right now. Okay. I think it's called artichoke root. I buy it on Amazon. It's a white powder and it's a great prebiotic. But more importantly, it's got a vanilla flavor and it's a thickener. So when I'm craving like the old days of doing briars before bed, I'll just blend up some inulin and berries and a little soy milk. And it comes out like soft serve ice cream. And it's oh, naturally wow. sweet. It's a prebiotic and it's great. So, so again, I'll just throw in whatever I can find, whatever's in the fridge. Don't ever throw away your broccoli stems. Those are great for the smoothies. You don't even know they're in there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the key is consistency and diversity to build up your bugs. So you talked about a little bit about doing the Twitter spaces. So like how often do you do your Twitter spaces and what's your favorite one you've done so far? I've been doing them since they started. I think they started in um, September of 21. So I think it's been like two years now. And I do, I mean, now I'm unemployed because of my beliefs around COVID. So I do more frequently, but I do at least one a week. And I try to get guests, you know, I try to find key people and and interview them, so to speak, and kind of get their backstory. But, you know, I talk about COVID things. I talk about medical freedom. I talk about uh, what's happening in the world. Lately, I've talked a lot about Bobby Kennedy since uh, I've become a strong advocate of him. And, um, And, you know, whatever topic people want to talk about. Cool. Um, no, in addition to your spaces, just your normal Twitter is full of, uh, criticisms of big pharma. Um, yeah. what, what led, I mean, you said you had, you had an injury. So is that, is that pretty much what led to your skepticism of them and the pharmaceutical industry as a whole? Um, well, you know, my, my, my story around COVID was um, I was on Twitter a lot prior to COVID. And when COVID started, I happened to be outside of uh, Seattle. And if you guys remember, Kirkland Nursing Home, which was north of Seattle, was kind of like the epicenter in the U.S. And I was working in a small hospital over on the other side of the Puget Sound, And, you know, we thought we were going to be having tents in the parking lot and, you know, we Mm -hmm. wouldn't be able to evacuate patients over to Seattle, which is what they normally do. And I also had done a lot of missionary work in Africa. And also my family have this, has this thing called alkalosine spondylitis, which is a rheumatic disease um, due to a gene mutation. I have it. All of my siblings have it. I'm the youngest of six. The reason I mention that is because hydroxychloroquine is the mainstay medication for that. Plus, in my case, because I didn't have AS yet, I was doing uh, hydroxychloroquine for the malaria prophylaxis in Africa. So the bottom line is I was very familiar with it. I started following intensivists 
in Seattle and in New York, those guys were familiar with what the work had been done in 2015 when SARS-1 came out. And even, get this, Fauci had said, hydroxychloroquine works great, or he used chloroquine for SARS-1. So our attitude at that point was like, well, we don't know if it's going to help, but we know it's helped in the past. Uh, we know it's been around forever, very safe, blah, blah, blah. And so we all started taking it prophylactically. And for me, if you remember, I think it was March 9th of 2020, when Trump mentioned something about hydroxychloroquine, the whole world changed. I mean, I had literally gone and filled a prescription like the day or two before, and then I called the pharmacy after Trump had said that, like within, my memory says it was within like 24 hours. And they said, no, we're not filling those anymore. That has never happened in American medicine before, where a pharmacist tells a doctor what they can and cannot do. And to me, that was the beginning of a very, very deep, long rabbit hole. (laughs) Yeah, and the reason they did that is because they had to demonize things that would help because they had to get that emergency use authorization. Exactly. And then very shortly thereafter, I became acquaintances with Paul Merrick and um, Pierre Corey and the whole ivermectin thing. And, you know, suffice it to say, I was helping patients getting those medications and, like I said earlier, getting their vitamin D up. You know, I mean, you, you can have discussions about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, but again, so... I mean, again, I don't know, this is a different discussion, but vitamin D would have prevented all of it. If we had a a government that actually cared about our health, if they had said, get your vitamin D over 50, that would have changed everything. But that's, in my view, that's not what they wanted to do. So that's not what happened. Yeah, You you can absolutely go down a rabbit hole with that subject. Are you guys familiar with uh, Paul Martin or Sasha Latipova? No. Oh, you're not? No. Oh, well, when we're done, I'm going to send you a few links. And, you know, forgive me because this may be a rabbit hole you don't want to go down to. (laughs) But I'll I'll, I'll take the bullet. (laughs) There's there's no theory here. You know, Paul Martin is a is a uh, attorney and I think he's got a PhD and I, I forget it in some biological area as well, but he's a man of many, um, val- you know, in, in many areas, but he just did a presentation. In fact, I think he's in Europe right now doing a follow-up presentation, but he did a presentation in January that has all the documents to show you that, Guess when COVID started being developed? Late 90s. What? This is is not coming from me. Again, watch the presentation. I've talked to Paul. I've talked to David. David Martin. I've talked to David. Maybe I could even get him on a podcast. But he, uh, he, he, you know, he, you know, he, like Bobby Kennedy, he, Sasha, Bobby Kennedy, when they make these claims, they put themselves out there for massive defamation lawsuits, right? Mm-hmm. So they don't 
put this stuff out there unless they have the data to back it up. And in many cases around this area or around the area of childhood vaccines, Bobby Kennedy has said, I throw this out there. I encourage you to try to sue me because you know what happens in a lawsuit, right? Then you have discovery. So that's when the truth comes out. So at least in America, defamation is only legally granted or legally, uh, you know, it's only legal if your accusation is, is wrong. If your accusation is truthful, there's no defamation. And so I can I could go into another hour of where Bobby Kennedy has accused lawyers at the FDA and the NIH and the CDC that they're criminals encouraging them to try to sue him. And guess what? They never do. Mm. Right? That's, that tells you something. So David Martin, Sasha Latipova, I'll send you both links as soon as we're done. They're very quick. David's is only 20 minutes. I think Sasha's is like 15 minutes. And they will change your view on our future. Let me just warn you, it's not positive. <laughs> oh, I mean, oh, I'm sure. If, if it's, <laughs> I doubt it's anything that I haven't seen yet. But, but we'll you know, it's, it's not positive, but it's positive in the idea that it answers the why, right? Mm, yeah. Because, you know, at least, especially as a physician, how many times in the last three and a half years have we heard things like, why are they doing this? Or what is the logic behind this? This is so obviously wrong. Why are they doing this? Now, again, you guys outside of medicine, maybe you haven't heard that, but I've heard it literally from day one. You know, we knew from day one that the COVID tests were inaccurate. I mean, maybe now you've seen the things where they've come from sweat houses in Thailand and Korea and China because early 2020, we didn't have enough tests. So the government opened it up to anybody. So you and Matt and I could have made our own COVID test and made millions of dollars and had no follow-up as far as accuracy or, you know, uh, whether they were even worthy tests. So we know all that. But anyways, it just, it, uh, it's really, really a sad commentary on where we are as a country. Well, that we we really appreciate this riveting conversation. Um, It's it's been awesome. Any one of these topics, we could go another hour to. I know. We we had stuff. We had stuff we didn't get to, but uh, we definitely appreciate your time. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, tell us where people can find you if you want to be found. Well, (laughs) and any other last comments on Twitter? I'm sbhankmd. That's probably the best place for right now. Okay. I mean, I'm about to make a move to Florida again, but I'm going to be an employee, so I probably should stay a little little quiet, at least in the (laughs) beginning, which is hard for me to do. You know, I mean, we haven't even talked about, you know, the hill that that I really think is so important, and that is, you know, um, I'll just say to end, everybody go out and buy Bobby Kennedy's and Brian Hooker's new book called Vax versus Unvax.
Okay. Have to check that out. Well, I have the real Anthony Fauci, so I'll yeah, have to, have to check that out. Well, in fact, I'm doing a, I'm doing a space with Brian on Thursday at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern to talk about his book. So, and so, how often do you do spend? Do you do them like uh, certain days of the week? Like, do you do them once a week, twice a week? Like, you have certain times you do them, or just kind of usually you do? it's Saturdays at noon Eastern. Okay. Um, but again, given the fact that I'm on a um, mandatory vacation. You know, I've been doing them more lately, but uh, that's generally the time I do them, especially in the winter months when, you know, people tend to be home more, noon Eastern, but they're all recorded so people can follow up on them. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time and thank you for listening to the Plant-Based Liberty Podcast.